We're going to begin with a word of prayer today. Gracious Lord, thank you again for the gracious things you have done for us. That you have brought us into this relationship with you. We praise you, Lord, for all these things. As we have now the opportunity to open up your word and to uh, concentrate on what you have said. To realize that these words are true. May our, our lives line up with the truth. May our hearts receive what you have taught us here. And may we turn about and apply them and, and bring you great honor and glory through the lives you've given to us. Help us to understand today, Lord, for you're the only real teacher we have. Challenge our hearts through your word, we pray. And make us different. Thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Two weeks ago, I began our series here of the study of heaven, and I spoke about the reality of heaven two weeks ago. Heaven is a real place. We do not need the experience of others who have died and who have come back in order to convince us that heaven exists, do we? After all, we are Bible people, right? And God has declared in His Word that heaven does exist. He has written it a number of times in there. All other testimonies are subject to the Word of God. By that I mean this. If we are told, if, if we are, are given the subject of, of heaven from somebody, and we are told that... Uh, their word from experience says this about heaven and says that about heaven. It must line up with God's word. It must. All that we have to hold on to is God's word. When it comes down to that. We've, I think we've kind of learned that over the last two weeks especially. Uh, we've had an emphasis on, on the uh, word of God. And how that is to be our measuring rod. And if anyone speaks about heaven... And there's a lot of people who do. But if anyone speaks about heaven and it's contrary to God's word at any point, to me it discredits their whole message. It discredits it all in the fact that uh, what value is man's opinion when we have God's word? And that's what I stand here before you today is to say that we must be very careful. Not only what we hear, but... Uh, I must be very careful when I share. I want to be very careful in that regard. I do my best as I prepare and I think and I study that what I teach to you is from God's Word. So that it's not my word, it's not my opinion, it's something you can uh, actually look up yourself and you can see that it's true. And that's what we intend to do with our study of heaven. Because the reality is, I've never been there. I am very much like a tour guide who's never been to the place he wants to describe to you. In day and age, uh, professionally, people say, well, I don't know, how do you trust a guy who's never been there? Don't trust me, trust God's Word. And that's why I give to you His message and not my own. Uh, I started last week, or rather ended last week, with a phrase from D.L. Moody. He said, heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. 
And I want to bring that thought to your mind again today, especially today, because my topic is on the fact that uh, we're going to talk about the people of heaven today. I think it's a necessary starting place for what we need to talk about. If we talk to the average person, I think, in our country or even in our state, I'm pretty sure that we will find those who believe uh, that everyone will make it to heaven. We saw that clip that Steve referenced here. There are some who, who believe in heaven, and I think we'll find more people who do believe in heaven than those who don't believe in heaven. I think that uh, we would find that the majority of them believe everyone will go there in one way or another. Um, as we have witnessed a few weeks ago, there are some believe not only everyone will be there, but your pets will too. And I tend to think when I think that through, is that only the cute and cuddly ones? Or does that include like snakes that people keep and stuff like that too as pets? I've always worried a little bit about that pet concept. Uh, are there certain pets that get in and certain pets that don't? I don't have Bible verses to support that either. It's just, I wonder. I think the basic mentality is that good people go to heaven and bad people won't. If you ask that, but then you have to start defining out that category too. Political cartoons are always full of depictions of who makes it and who doesn't. If you pay attention to them, they're very very interesting things. Usually after somebody dies who's big and important and famous, you'll see some political cartoon pop up and guess where they are? They're up there in the clouds with little wings or, or little you know harps or things of that nature. Uh, there's interesting pictures like that. Now, I have no intention of just rehearsing all morning long the opinions of this present world uh, or their opinion of who qualifies to be in heaven. I just know that uh, in our present day and age, the message that we see in God's Word and that we hold to and that we present is becoming more and more unpopular they are terms they use for people who are limited in their perspective, uh, who teach a, a uh, narrow view of things. And uh, I think our conception of who will be in heaven based on God's word is, is uh, that which will qualify as something the world will deny. I don't think they misunderstand the Bible. I think they don't like what the Bible has to say about those who go to heaven. We believe that the Word says that you must be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ to be a future occupant of heaven. Now, either we can soften our message to please this world, or we can preach the Word to save some. That's what it comes down to when we consider the message that we declare. This morning I'd like to talk about people and what God's Word has to say about people in relation to heaven. And I think it's a significant thing that we must uh, grasp and understand. Let's discuss the, the negative side of things first 
And I'll go through those who won't get there. That always starts off real nice, doesn't it? Once there was a rich young ruler, if you remember. He's identified as that in Scripture. He came to Jesus and asked him, What shall I do to obtain eternal life? Perhaps he was thinking being rich or being good were to his advantage. If you would have asked any of the disciples, they would have agreed. Being rich was an advantage. Being good was an advantage. They even had, in the Jewish uh, mentality of things, they had certain people they knew for sure would be there. And the, the, the uh, qualifications went down this way. But uh, if you were wealthy, yeah, you had a better chance than the poor. If you were uh, religious among the, the leading uh, religious leaders of their day, of course, you should be there. And those who weren't among that group had a, a harder opportunity or chance to get in. They had this, this setup where being rich, being involved in, in religious activity, uh, always put you near the front of the bus when it came to approaching heaven. And so they saw this young ruler who kept the law. He was a good man. He was rich. He had all these advantages. And surely he should have this to his favor. And I think the world would agree with that. Yet in the interview that Jesus had with him, that rich young ruler went away a disappointed rich young ruler. Disappointed after walking away from a conversation with Jesus. Because Jesus invited him to dispose of everything and follow him. On a previous occasion, Jesus addressed the crowd that he was with and, and asked them several things, spoke to them about several things, about eternal life and, and those who will not have it. I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 7 for this uh, conversation. Matthew chapter 7. We're going to see several passages today. But let's start here. Right in the middle of the chapter, chapter or verse 13. I'm going to read to you 13 all the way through verse 23, and I want you to do some observation with me. Alright? Matthew 7:13. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, and bad trees bear bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice 
lawlessness. Back to verse 13. He says, there's a gate that's wide. He says that there is a way that's broad. It leads to where? Destruction. The gate is wide. You know, it's easily accessed. The, broad, the way is broad. It's easily traveled. It's the route preferred by those who want easy. Does that sound like a generation we know? We want things easy, don't we? Neither of them are actually the end. A gate just starts. The, the, the way is the journey. But they both are parts of a journey that lead to destruction, he says. You especially note what his comment was, what Jesus said. There are many who enter through it. Many. See that word, many? Underscore that in your thought. Because on the other hand, there is a small gate, he says. Verse 14. A small gate in a narrow way that leads to what? Life. This gate is not as easy to enter, is it? This, this way is not as easy to travel, is it? But its destination is life. Clearly, you can see a contrast between two different journeys that lead to two different destinations. There are two sets of participants. The remarks concerning the narrow way say that there are few who find it. So, just initially here, this morning, as Jesus begins to describe things and I didn't see the word heaven there, but I know he's referencing life after this life. We're going to attach these pieces together as we go. But clearly you can see what he just said. The vast majority will what? Not be there. You see it? Many. That's, the, that's more than a few. Many will not be there. Observe a second thing as well. Jump down to verse 21, verse number 22. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many, many, see that word? Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons. In your name perform many miracles. There's a group that will stand before him, he says, seeking to gain admittance based on the works that they have done. Did we not prophesy in your name? To some degree, they, they proclaim the message. Does that qualify? To some degree, they did that. Did we not cast out demons in your name? Well, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> that's rather impressive, isn't it? Just to think through, casting out demons? Wow! We, we have a common enemy, enemy in this. Yeah, we want these demons cast out. Weren't we on your side in this, Lord? 
We were casting out your enemies. Does that qualify us? Did we not perform many miracles in your name? We did a lot of people, a lot of good. We did. Lord, does these things qualify? There's the element of our religion. There's our element of our spiritual conflict. There's an element of our good that we've done. Now, Lord, remember, we were careful to mention your name every time we did something. In your name we did this, and in your name we did this. And doesn't that count for something? Isn't it funny how we, we sometimes think we can manipulate the Lord into a corner and make Him to respond to our, our own desires if we just tack His name onto it? Of course, if we put the, name's Lord, the name of the Lord on a plaque, wouldn't He bless it, whatever we stuck it on? Free advertising. We ought to get free tickets for that. We've been advertising your name, Lord. We've been using your name. We've been, we've been doing all this in your name. And Jesus says something in verse 23 that will alarm them. He says, And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Practice what? lawlessness I thought these were good things huh how does it I never knew you well that's a that just alone is a frightful phrase it's a very significant word that word know here he's not saying I didn't know you were doing this that's not what he said nor did he say I I didn't know who you were that's not what he means by this he he was talking about a personal knowledge he had. The the Greek text does have an option of a couple of different words for no. And this one is the one we use when we want to say that we know something because we have experience with it. We've we've grown to know it. We've learned it. There's other knowledges that we have from here because we just know it. This is the kind that I've learned it. I've learned it. I've come to know it. That means I've invested time into it. I've spent time with it. I've learned it. It's a personal knowledge now for me. Jesus says, I've never spent time with you. I've never grown. You've never grown in your relationship with me. You don't know me and I don't know you. It's a personal knowledge gained by experience. It was merely business for them. What they did was merely business. They thought they could manipulate the Lord into giving them access to heaven by the things they did. And they stand before Him and said, This is what I want. He says, That's lawlessness. When it comes down to it, it's contrary to the truth of God. Isn't that what you'd call lawlessness? And they were attempting that before Him at that throne couple of other clues we could add to what we already know. The first thing we already discovered in chapter 7 was that the vast majority will not be in heaven. We saw that. Many are on the path to destruction. A couple of things we could add to this. 
from just the passage 21, 22, 23, you cannot earn your entrance into heaven. You cannot earn your entrance into heaven. No matter how great your works are, even if you tack his name onto it, you cannot earn your entrance into heaven. I used to be, well, I still do, I guess, but watching old movies, I used to joke all the time with Kay when we'd sit there and watch a show together. Somebody in the midst of a show or something would happen in one of these old shows and, and there'd be a religious comment or something like that. And I was always jumped to say, see, it is a Christian show. And I always had fun with that. One of my favorite, one of my favorite lines was, uh, at the end of the greatest story ever told, uh, the centurion speaks. It's John Wayne. Right? It's his only part in the entire show. And there he's standing like John Wayne in a centurion, uh, outfit and all that. He says, um, surely this man was the son of God. You know, the crucifixion scene. That's all he says. And, the whole, and he says it in his John Wayne voice even. You know, and it's, it's like, see, he is a Christian. And I don't know if he is or not, to tell the truth. Uh, there's some things about it. I just had fun with that, only because that's the way the world views things. Have you ever noticed? Just give me a sliver. That's all I want. Just give me a sliver and I'll be convinced that you're one of his. And all it takes is a work. All it takes is for one person to say the Lord's name next to it. And they think, wow, that's it. Used to watch NASCAR races every Sunday afternoon. Enjoy that very much. The winner comes out and says, well, the Lord was with us today. I always thought, well, what about the other 40 guys out there? Was he not with them? Uh, Just interesting observations I make along the way. People think all you have to do is tack on a little religious into a little part, here or there, say it, put the Lord's name on it. Ta-da! Christian. He says, you, that doesn't work. You don't gain entrance into heaven by earning it. You see? You cannot. Jesus just said that. No matter how great your work is, even if you tack your name on it, you can't bargain with Jesus. You can't do it. Scripture tells us that. He says, depart from me, I never knew you. Another thing in that very thought is that those who enter into heaven must first have a relationship with Jesus Christ here on this earth. They must have that relationship. That's the way he says, I never knew you. They must have that relationship with Him. Wouldn't you consider heaven to be an odd place if it was filled up with strangers to Jesus Christ? Wouldn't that be an odd place then? Would you invite somebody you've never met before in your life who came and knocked on your door? Would you say, hey, come and live with us forever? You know nothing of Him? You say, well, no, I wouldn't do that. Well, could you imagine somebody spending all eternity with Jesus and they don't even know who he is? Jesus says, I never knew you. So, so far I've just shared with you the words of Jesus. And if anyone knows anything about who goes to heaven, I think he qualifies as the one who understands it best and can explain it to us. He ought to know. 
Heaven is not a place for the majority. Heaven is not a place to be bargained for. Heaven is not a place for strangers to him. Those three things we have gleaned already. Now, does that fly a little contrary to our world's opinion? Yes, it does. As our world says, well, most people will be there. Just do a little good and, and that's all it takes. Go to Matthew 13. Let's add a little bit more. Matthew 13, verse 41 and verse 42. Again, Jesus is speaking. I know that because it's in red print in my Bible. Is that how you're convinced of this too? <laughs> I'm teasing. Uh, here it says in verse 41, The Son of Man will send forth His angels. And they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness and will throw them into... Wait a minute, that doesn't sound like heaven. The furnace of fire and the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth? Does it sound like everyone's going to heaven in this verse? No. There's certain that people that won't, right? He says it here. Stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness. Jump down to verse 49. Same chapter. So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous, and will throw them into, uh uh-oh, there it is again, into the furnace of fire, in that place where there be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Does it sound like everyone's going to be in heaven? He's just excluded the wicked now. He's excluded stumbling blocks. He excluded the lawless ones. He excluded those who have bargained using his name. He excluded the many who are on the broad path leading to destruction. He's excluded a lot of people, hasn't he? Already? Let's get a little more information. Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter number 20. We'll just go right to the end of the book, practically. See what it has to say. Maybe there's a change. Chapter 20. We enter into verse number 11 with a, a, um, an event that is coming called the Great White Throne Judgment. It is a frightful, frightful judgment. I'll give you this aspect at least before we, we go any further with it. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're not going to the white throne judgment. Alright? Just so you know, this is not for believers. So that gives you a clue, at least where we're starting. Chapter 20, verse 11, says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged from the things that were written in the book according to the deeds, their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and they were judged, each one of them according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Verse 12 is the judgment. The books are opened. It's a fair judgment. 
All right? The Lord knows everything. <laughs> Nothing gets past Him. He can evaluate every single aspect. The verdict is in verse 15. Everyone's name not found written in the book of life, he is thrown into the lake of fire. Does it sound like he has some sort of qualification to enter into heaven? It certainly does, doesn't it? He he has brought it down to one simple concept. And that has to do with whether or not that name is found written in that book of life. That was the determining factor here. Now jump to chapter 21 for a second. He starts to explain the the new heavens and the new earth. And this is the final heaven, if you will. We'll get into more details later and examine all this beautiful stuff real soon. But first let's just walk through it. In verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. He will wipe away every tear from their eye, and there will be no longer any death, there will be no longer any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. He who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he says, Write these words, they are faithful and true. I am the Alpha and the Omega. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the springs of water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things. And I will be his God and he will be my son. Sounds wonderful, right? Yeah. Okay, good. Verse 8. This is how he ends the paragraph. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Uh Uh-oh, he's starting to identify a little more closely now, isn't he? Huh. Okay, let's let's find a cheerier passage. Uh, let's try chapter the same chapter. Start in verse nine. You start working your way toward the end. Verse ten is is nice. He says, "Come to." He carried me in the spirit, showed me a great and high mountain, showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down from heaven. He starts to describe it in verse eleven and twelve, uh, talking about the gates and all that's on the gates and the walls. In verse number fourteen, talks about the walls. Verse 15, he starts to measure out the city. He sees how wide it is, how long it is, how high it is, and and these measurements are are wonderful. Verse 18, he talks about the materials of the wall. They were jasper. The city was pure gold, like clear glass. And then he starts to describe the foundation stones in verse 19 and 20 and 21. A beautiful, beautiful scene. Verse 22, I like these words. I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light. The kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. 
In the daytime there will be no night there. The gates will never be closed. They will bring in the glory and the honor of the nations into it. And he finishes the whole paragraph with this verse. Verse 27. Nothing unclean and no one who practice abomination and lying shall ever come into it. But only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Pretty clear, isn't it? He goes through all the beautiful depictions of these places we're going to spend eternity in, and he always comes down to that last verse, who won't be there. Look at this, chapter 23. Chapter 23. No, 22. I would say, 23, that's great. I've got a chapter 23. Chapter 22. Somebody messed up my notes. I have to fix that. 22. He starts into a description of the river of the water of life. Clear as crystal. He talks about the streets. He talks about the rivers. He talks about the trees and the fruit of the trees. And there's no more curse in verse number 3. And verse 4, then we will see his face. And his face will be on their, their, his name will be on their foreheads and there will be no longer any night. There will be no need of light from the lamp. He goes on through these beautiful pictures again, talking about the glories of this place we're going to spend eternity with him. And guess what he has to do when he gets to the end? Talk about those who won't be there. Verse number 15. Outside are the dogs I knew my dog wasn't going to make it. (laughs) There it is. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. Now, I want to just ask you something. Do Do you think God makes it clear enough who won't be there? We've just seen a, a, just a handful of verses. I could spend the rest of the day with this, you know. There are verses everywhere where he describes this. I don't think that's what our world is trying to convince us of. They say everyone will be there, of course, or at least the, the very worst people can't be there. But God makes this list and he adds to it and he shows us over and over and over again. John 3.36 He who believes in the Son has eternal life. And he who does not obey the Son will not see life. Because the wrath of God abides on him. The Bible clearly teaches that there will be people who will not be in heaven. Alright? It does that. And it teaches clearly why they won't be there. And it has to do with belief in Jesus Christ. Their relationship with Jesus Christ. It comes down to that. For a relationship with Jesus Christ means that He has bought you by His blood. You have been saved by His grace. Your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And there is a promise that comes with that. I want to show it to you because I like the other side of this story. Those who will be there. Simple sections we can look at. Verses you already know. Heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. Let's go back to John 3. And let's look at that verse 36. 
I want you to see it with your eyes, not just hear it from my voice. John 3, verse 36. This is what Jesus said about those who will be in heaven. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. Do you see that? He who believes in the Son will have eternal life. Back up. Maybe you don't even have to turn the page. Verse 16. 3.16. You know it? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever... What's the next word? Believes. See it? Whosoever believes in Him. Not just believes. Alright? It's specific. Believes in Him shall not perish, but have what? Is that a promise? Absolutely. Believes in Him, they shall have eternal life. Back up to chapter 1. John 1, verse 12. John 1, verse 12. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in His name. He said it again. Those who believe, they believe in Him, believe in His name. That's what He keeps telling us. My favorite, I think, of all is John 14, verse 6. You can't miss the context. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. What is that place called? Heaven. What does Jesus say about it? Verse 6. I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but through me. See it? Through Him. Only through Him. That's what it says. Just two more verses. Go to Acts 16. Acts 16, verse 31. Paul and Silas are in prison. Philippi, terrible earthquake. Guard gets up to kill himself because he thought they all escaped. They didn't. Paul tells them, don't, don't kill yourself. Well, we're still here. And the man turns to him after hearing all the testimony of Paul and hearing the singing even through the night. He says, sir, what must I do to be saved? And this is Paul's simple answer in verse 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You, and if your household does it, your household too. But notice how simple that is. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Is that consistent with everything else we've seen this morning? One more. Chapter 4, Acts 4, verse 12. Acts 4, verse number 12. Peter is speaking here. He's speaking about Jesus Christ. He says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men 
by which we must be saved. All right, now you've heard the gospel message all the way through that heaven is not earned. Heaven is not bargained for. Heaven is not gained in some way that you have devised. The people of heaven are there because they believe. They believe in Jesus Christ. They believe in his name. It's not earned, it is believed. It is not bargained, it is believed. It's not the good that you have done, it's not the bad you haven't done. It's the name of Jesus Christ and the work of his his death on a cross on your behalf. That's what saves you. That's what saves you. We think about uh, eternal life, and, and sometimes that seems like a long ways away. But how close are we? How close are we? I was kind of mindful of this just this past week, especially, thinking, you know, if you were right on the brink of stepping into eternity, would you be ready for it? You probably, as well as I did, remember the scenes on, on the news just the other day. They had a house surrounded in Boston, didn't they? They had incredible weapons aimed at that house. There was a 19-year-old man, they thought, inside that house. Within moments, he could have stepped into eternity. How close is that? And I was thinking, just as that, at that moment, thinking, one second from now, this, guy, this man could be in eternity. How close are we? I'm pretty healthy. Doing okay. <laughs> One heartbeat. Right? One moment. I, I'm impressed by just the concept of how close all these things actually are. If you step into eternity without belief in Jesus Christ, you will not go to heaven. That's what Scripture says. You will not be there. It doesn't matter what, what you say I've done in my life, all the good things I've done. What You've gone to Hillsdale Bible Church. Try, try that one before the throne. It won't work. You can't stand there and say, I deserve heaven. <laughs> Which of us do? Which of us deserve heaven? Which of us deserve grace? Which of us deserve what God has given to us? The Pharisee used to stand in the, in the temple and say, Lord, I'm glad I'm not like that man. And we spend half our lives saying, I'm glad I'm not like that man, don't we? And we measure ourselves according to other people. But not one of us deserves to be in heaven. Not one of us do. We couldn't earn it. We will only be there because we've been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that will matter. That he has bought us with his blood. You see, he died that death we deserved. He died that death. He paid that price that we owed that we could never repay. We are simply sinners saved by grace, aren't we? Sinners saved by grace. You see, it's not that we have made preparations for that, but that we have been prepared by the hands of the one who bears the marks of a cross. He has made us prepared people. Has He? 
Are you one of those? Prepared by Jesus Christ to enter into the place that He's prepared for you. That's what I want you to consider even now as we think about heaven. Those who will be there, those who won't be there. The difference between those two individuals is marked by your relationship with Him. Your relationship with Him. Do you believe in Jesus? Have you received Jesus as your Savior? That's what Scripture tells us. And you know what I like about this? He tells us so. There are no surprises in this gospel message. None. Alright? There's no gimmicks, no tricks, no surprises. I, I teach a, a Greek class to several people. And in my Greek class, when I come up to a quiz or I come up to a final exam, I tell them before it exactly what will be on it. You know why I do that? Because if they mess up, it's their fault. No, I don't do it that way. But it's... It, If you know what is expected of you, then you know how to study. You know how to take the test. The whole point is we want them to know it, right? Jesus doesn't wait for surprise when you get to heaven and say, Well, I didn't know that, Lord. He tells you. So that when you stand before His throne someday, you're not going to have the opportunity to say, But I didn't know that part. That's a surprise to me. He tells us, doesn't he? He tells us clearly what to expect and what what we must do. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. I want you to know that this morning. Because right now in your heart, you know whether or not you do. If you don't, you have opportunity right now, don't you? As we go into prayer, some of us will be praying, thankful for what the Lord has done. Thankful that He has already seated us in the heavenlies. Thankful that He has saved us by His grace. Some of us are going to rejoice at the fact that there's a promise that comes with that promise is eternal life in heaven with Him. We're going to rejoice over that. Some of you don't have any place to rejoice because you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior. And if this was the last moment of your life and you stepped off this earth, I know where you go, and you do too. You can change all that with one simple request of the Lord. Ask Him to save you. During the prayer time, talk to Him. He already knows your need. That's why He died. Right? That's why He's giving you opportunity today. As we go before the Lord, if you need to know Him, call out to Him right now. If you already know Him, thank the Lord for what He has done. Heavenly Father, we bow before you. You know all of us inside and out, there's not one person here that you're unaware of. You know their relationship with you, every single person here. And Lord, I wouldn't want that anyone goes away from this church this morning without knowing Jesus Christ is their Savior. Now they see the importance of it. And Lord, I pray that you impress it upon their heart right now. If there's somebody here who needs to know you, Have them call out to you, Lord. Do your work that only you can do. Change their heart. Draw them to yourself. Give to them eternal life, forgiveness of sins, hope of eternal life. All these things, Lord. Grant your word in their life. Bring it about. For we know that that's the work you do. And we thank you, Lord, for it. For you have done that for us. 
We stand here, Lord, many of us this morning, prepared people by your gracious hands, waiting for that prepared place that you have in store for us. Thank you, Lord, for what you have done, for your grace, for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for it, for your great goodness toward us. Thank you, Lord, for it. Do your will with these words today, Lord. Change us indeed, Lord. Change us. We give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.